It's Memorial Day weekend, and I think it's 100% appropriate for us to say thank you to every man and woman who have paid maybe the ultimate price in defense of this country to allow us to have the freedoms. We get to assemble today because of so many men and women that have paid that price. Some of them paid a, another price in the fact that maybe they came back changed or, or physically maimed in some way. Maybe a young bride sent her new husband off to, to battle and then he came back in such a way that she became a caregiver the rest of his life. And we thank you. I know it's not real popular right now to be patriotic, to be proud of our country, but I, for one, am proud of our country, and I can't think of anywhere that I'd rather live than right here in the United States. And I'm grateful for everyone who's paid that price to allow us to, to worship in freedom, to experience the freedoms that we have. And so for each of them, this is a weekend to, to say thank you. If you have your Bibles, turn to Judges chapter 4, and we'll get to that in just a second. I love comeback stories. I think we all do. People who have maybe had bad things happen or something unfortunate happened to them, and then they were able to come back and get a redo in life. I think it inspires us. Years ago, uh, or several years ago, I was given a book uh, for Father's Day, it was entitled Comeback. It was the story of Dave Dervecki, a, a major league pitcher for San Francisco Giants. And it was an incredible story of adversity and faith and hope. Dave Dervecki was a very successful left-handed pitcher. And he began to have some pain in his arm. And what developed was a cancerous tumor in his left arm, his pitching throwing arm. They removed that tumor and also some of the muscle surrounding that tumor and treated him with some chemotherapy, radiation. They said his career was over. He'd never pitch again. He wasn't willing to accept that, and he worked hard, rehabbed hard, and he came back. He started the game on his comeback, and they won. The next game... He started, his arm broke, weakened from the, the radiation. He still didn't think he was done, and they cast the arm, did some rehab again, and then in the celebration for the pennant race, that arm was broken again. He didn't realize he had never pitched again. That arm had to be amputated. His next book was called, When You Can't Come Back, an even greater story of faith and hope. Maybe you've seen the movie Soul Surfer, the story of Bethany Hamilton that was a surfer, and she was attacked by a, a shark, and, and this is Family Sunday, so I'm going to spare you any grisly details, but the shark uh, removed her arm, okay, bit it off. And uh, that story is an incredible story of faith and hope and adversity. And she came back to be able to compete again professionally. 
Stories like that inspire me. I don't know if you're a golf fan or not, but I guess there was a little tournament in Oklahoma last week, and a guy by the name of Tiger Woods played in that. You know, Tiger had a bad, bad crash, and they virtually said his career was over. And But really, who wasn't rooting for Tiger Woods last week to come back and do well? Whether you're a golf fan or not, I think secretly we were all hoping that, hey, he would come back and do well. I also love the stories of people who came from nothing to great success. Someone whose hard work and determination made themselves into something great. I think of Dave Thomas, the founder of Wendy's, a little uh, hamburger chain that you may have heard of at some point in time. He was born to an unwed mother, but then she soon died and he was adopted out. And he was then shuffled from one family member to the next. And then finally he quit high school and started working at a restaurant. And from there, he began his own chain of restaurants that we know of, the Wendy's chain. Another example is Tom Monahan, who he was the founder of the Domino's Pizza. Uh, he was a troubled young man, and he actually decided he was going to be a priest at one point in time, but he got kicked out of the seminary school. So he wasn't at the top of the class. Then he decided he would join the army, but he ended up joining the Marines by mistake. Now you talk about somebody who really wasn't paying attention to what you're signing. After his time in the Marines, he and his brother went together and pooled $500 and they bought this little pizza place. When that one became profitable, he opened another one, and then another one, and another one. And today, you probably here at some point in time have, have eaten a Domino's pizza. Forty years after he started that first little restaurant for $500, he sold just his portion of it for over a billion dollars. Last weekend, I had the privilege of doing a service for one of the sweetest uh, members that Oakwood Christian Church has ever had, Erlinda Mattress. Erlinda was a single mom of two, immigrated to the United States from the Philippines, became a citizen. She worked out here at Walmart for 24 years in the women's clothing department. She was also a member of Oakwood Christian Church for more than 30 years. Actually, she was a member of two churches, and I'll tell you about that. She started a Bible study in her home for Philippine people. And from that little Bible study, birthed the church here in Enid for Philippine people. So she was a member of two churches. She came to Oakwood Christian Church on Sunday morning and then went to her Philippine church Sunday night. From that little Bible study in her home, Two full-time Philippine pastors emerged from that Bible study in that church. And not only did that church start, but also a Philippine church in Oklahoma City birthed from that Bible study in her home. She spent her entire life uh, teaching others about Jesus. She went on three different trips back to the Philippines after she became a citizen here to evangelize the Philippine people. You may have never met her. 
She always sits right back in that little corner. Jim, wave your hand. That's where she sat every Sunday for 30 years. Stories like that inspire me. People that have made a difference in life. And it gives me hope. And the truth is, sometimes we all go through seasons of life when things go bad for us. It just seems like we have one defeat after the other. And sometimes it's our fault, and sometimes it's just the circumstances beyond our control. And when we go through these tough seasons of life, it might be relationships, it might be our finances, our personal life, whatever it is. But we find ourselves in a pickle. And I want to tell you, normally when I find myself in a pickle, it's because I jumped into the pickle juice, okay? It was nobody else's fault. I did it to myself. There's a story that we're going to read in the book of Judges about the entire nation of Israel jumped in the pickle juice, so to speak, okay? They made a mess of everything. And as you read through the Old Testament, you see that was the history of them. They would turn to God, then they would turn away from God. They would turn back to God, they would turn away from God. It was just like a roller coaster ride. They would follow God for a while, then, then they would stop, and then they would begin to serve pagan gods and false gods. And then before you knew it, God stopped blessing them. And I want to tell you something, friends. When God decides to punish you and to stop blessing you, it's because of disobedience. And it's always with the desire to turn you back, okay? Not to wipe you out. Not to destroy you. It's always to get you to turn back to repentance. That's why when we do things God's way, life, society, this world works. But when we do things our way, that's when things don't work. And I can attest to that. When I decide to do things God's way, my life just works. And when I decide to become disobedient and rebellious, my life doesn't work. And when God asks us to do some things, it's not just because we think they're stupid and silly or he's some kind of a, a, a big celestial killjoy that he's just out to ruin all of our fun. It's because he has, he knows what's best for us. Let me give you an example. In the Old Testament, God told his people not to eat pork, okay? And it wasn't because uh, he was against barbecues or pulled pork or or you know, ribs or anything like that. It was because at that time, pigs were a major carrier of trichnosis. And God didn't want his people eaten up by worms. He also gave very specific instruction on how to dispose of human waste. They were to take it outside of their living area, dig a hole, bury it. Why did he say that? I mean, that was a lot of work. Well, other cultures didn't have that habit, and they just let it run in the street. And as a result, a lot of those ancient cultures and cities were ridden with disease. You see, preventing disease was one of the reasons God told them not to marry people from other nations. Besides the fact that they would drag them away to their pagan religions was the fact that they were hygienically unclean. And so Israel's relationship with God was like that roller coaster ride, okay? Up and down, hot and cold. And the sad truth is that many Christians' relationship with God is just 
like the nation of Israel. People stray from their relationship and their covenant with God and wonder why the blessings stop flowing. They wonder why things don't work in their life. This is exactly the situation that the Israelites found themselves in in the book of Judges. And maybe you've been saying today, when am I going to have a, a, a win in my life? When am I going to solve that problem? When am I going to defeat that enemy in my life? When are, when is things going to turn around for me? When am I going to win? If you're in that situation this morning, I believe what God has to say to us today will encourage your heart. Because I'm going to give you a winning strategy right now, okay, that we find in the book of Judges. Turn with me to Judges chapter 4. We're going to read the first three verses of Judges chapter 4. And in these first three verses, we see the the first of three key ideas that I want us to, to pick up on this morning. Verse 1 says, After Ehud died, the Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, a king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth Hagoyim, because he had nine hundred iron chariots and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. The first key that I want us to pick up on today is you will win when you decide enough is enough. Now, it's amazing that it took 20 years for, for the cruelty of this man, this commander of this army, to oppress them before they decide to ask for God's, God's help. 20 years. Now, actually, 20 years was a pretty short time for them to turn back to God, okay? Because sometimes it was many, many years before they turned back. But this particular case, it was 20 years was their limit to suffer from their rebellion before they decided to get right and ask God for help. They decided they had suffered enough. So I want to ask you, how long... Do you have to suffer? What's your limit? Is it 20 years? 20 months? 20 days? 20 minutes? That's a long time for me to suffer. But it's your choice. If your relationship with God isn't what you want it to be and isn't what it should be, if it's not firing on all cylinders, guess what? It's your choice when you get to decide enough's enough. Just like the story of Jonah. Jonah could have at any point in time in that whole story, before he ended up in the belly of a fish, could have decided enough's enough. Before he ran from God, before he got on that boat, before the storm, before he ended up being tossed overboard and being swallowed, before spending three days in the belly of that great fish, he could have at any point in time said, enough's enough. God, I'm, I'm going to turn back to you. I give up. I don't know about you, but I think it might have taken about three seconds for me to be in that belly of the fish, not three days. As you read through the Old Testament, many times people cry out, Lord, how long? David's. 
Solomon, Moses, Jeremiah, Zechariah, Habakkuk all ask that question. How long, O Lord, do I have to deal with this situation? How long? You know, when you're going through that tough situation, one moment seems like a long time sometimes, doesn't it? One day seems like an eternity. You know, I, I think God may sometimes ask that, that same question. How long are you going to go through this before you finally decide to ask for help? How long? If you read through the book of Daniel, you'll read there the story of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the king, and God prophesied because of his pride, he was going to lose his mind. And he went insane for seven years. The scripture says that he went out and ate grass like cattle. For seven years, he lived just like a wild man. They said his hair grew long, like feathers of a bird. Can you imagine not having a haircut for seven years or not bathing? Or and then his fingernails, they said, were like claws of the eagle. And it took seven years before he finally humbled himself and looked up and acknowledged God, and God restored his mind and his sanity. But it took seven years for him to crawl around like an animal. So how long are you going to wait before you resist God? Where you put your heart back where it belongs? How long are you going to run? You know, I've asked many people who were able to defeat long-term problems in their life, whether it was an addiction or a sin. And the answer is almost always the same. When I hit the bottom and I decided enough was enough. When the doctor told me to either lose weight, get healthy, or I'm going to die, that was enough. When the bank foreclosed on my house because of my gambling addiction, that was enough. When I lost my job because of this problem or what, when my wife said, you either sober up or get out, I finally decided enough was enough. And do you know what the great thing about hitting the rock bottom is? You get to decide when enough's enough. Now, some of us tend to be more stubborn than others. I mean, some of you are more stubborn than, you know what I'm saying, right? The truth is all of us can be stubborn. All of us can be rebellious from God. And we can let pride get in the way and say, I'm not ready yet to ask for help. So if you're facing some kind of a challenge, and I, I believe in a group this size, there's probably some people are facing some very severe challenges in life right now. You get to decide when enough's enough. Second thing I want us to, to see here is you're going to win when you quit caring who gets the victory and who gets the glory. Okay? Let's begin, continue reading verse 4. Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapideth, was leading Israel at the time. This was before they had a king, and, and the Israelites were led by judges, ruled by judges. 
She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and all the Israelites came to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abadoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead the way to Mount Tabor. I will lure Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River, and give them to your hands. Barak said to her, I will go, if you will go with me, I will go, but if you don't go with me, I won't go. Very well, Deborah said, I will go with you, but because of the way you are going about this, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh, where he summoned Zebulun and Naphtali. 10,000 men followed him, and Deborah also went with him. You will win when you quit caring who gets the glory. You see, this man named Barak enters a picture. He's a military general, and he was called by Deborah to get his army together and to finally to take action against this Sisera, this general who had all these iron chariots and had abused them and oppressed them for 20 years. She said, I want you to get, gather the army and I want you to go defeat Sisera. And his response was, well, I will go if you'll go. In other words, I'm not sure I can win this battle without you. Now, think about this. This was 3,000 years ago. Women weren't in combat situations. Women weren't a part of the military and the armies at that time. So can you imagine a military man saying, I will only go if you'll go with me? It'd be kind of like our, who's the top commander? Is it Millie? Is he the top commander of our military right now? If he would, you know, hey, I will only go into battle and fight, let's say, Ukrainians or, or Russians in Ukraine right now and defeat Putin if, let's say, Bette Midler will go with him. Okay, if she'll go, then I'll go. Hmm. Have you noticed that the, the most difficult things in, in life always seem to be sentences of three? I'm sorry. I love you. I forgive you. Some assembly required. I need help. Will you go out with me? Now, wait a minute. That's more than three, isn't it? But that's a hard one, too. There's something very humbling and very powerful admitting that you need help. That's really one of the foundational principles of AA or NA or any of the 12 group uh, programs. Part of that is admitting that you need help. And together they say, we can do this together. If you'll help me, I can do this. But on my own, I can't. I've got to have your help. And you're going to win 
when you, victory is more important than your glory, when you decide that you can let go of your pride and say it doesn't matter who gets the credit. Now, honestly, the truth is a lot of us like recognition and we like credit. Something happens, we want to be recognized for that. We want to be rewarded for that. We want to be acknowledged for that. And sometimes pride even finds its way of sneaking its way into the church. Sometimes even within our pastoral staff, you know, somebody does something and they get the credit for it and it makes the church look good, but doggone it, I didn't get that credit for that. You see, we win when we decide it doesn't matter who gets the credit, who gets the glory for that. The victory is more important than who gets the recognition. People who achieve victory after lifelong challenges um, recognize this. It doesn't matter. Sometimes God has to remove our pride. Third lesson I want us to see from this passage is found in verse 14. You'll win when you surround yourself with winners. Verse 14, Deborah then said to Barak, go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down to Tabor, followed by 10,000 men. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera in his chariots and his army by the sword, and Sisera abandoned his chariots and fled on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Herosheth, Hagoyim. All the troops of Sisera fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Well, that's what's called a wipeout, okay? That's what's called a whooping. They completely destroyed him. Not a person was left. You'll win when you surround yourself with winners. And I want to explain that. Barak latched on to Deborah, not because he was some kind of a weak, cowardly general who needed a woman's help to go into battle, but because he recognized the anointing of God on her life. And he wanted her on his team, or he wanted to be on her team. Either way, he knew that the anointing of God was on her. And he wanted to be a part of that. He didn't want to go to battle without her. So here's the principle. If you want to experience God's victory in your life, you need to surround yourself with people who walk in victory. People who walk with God. If you want to know God's power, you need to surround yourself with people that have God's power in their life. People that have experienced victory from maybe a lifelong challenges or multiple set setbacks, those are the best people to learn from. That's why I think Dave Ramsey is such a, a great person to listen to for financial advice because he went from the top to the bottom. He knew what it was like to go from here to being completely flat broke and then digging himself out of that hole. So if you need some financial advice, he's a great person to listen to. Never underestimate the value of a good influence. 
Spend as much time in their presence as possible. I think one of the reasons that we repeat our failures, besides the fact that we don't break that habit, is that we surround ourselves with the wrong people. And we wonder why we're not having any victory, why we're not having any success, because we're listening to the wrong people. This principle tells us you need to surround yourself with people that have God's power living within them. So if you want to experience God's blessing, don't follow people that you can't look at their life and say God's powerful in their life. God's blessing their life. That's why we need to be very selective who we choose to follow and surround ourselves with. If you're in that situation where you're asking, how long, Lord, how long will it be before things get better? Stop right where you're at and, and look who you're listening to. Who are you surrounding yourself? Who are your influences in your life? And you find the person that God is blessing and you get with them, okay? You get them on your team or you get on their team, it doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter who gets the credit or the glory. What matters is who gets the victory. Listen, friends, if you're going through a tough situation and maybe you're crying out and you're, you're just saying, Lord, how long is it going to be? How long before I see a win, before I see victory? How long before I see your power work again in my life? I want you to ask yourself three questions real quickly. Number one is, have I reached the point where enough is enough? Or am I holding on to my sin or rebellion, my selfishness, whatever it is? Am I living with this one foot in the world and trying to keep one foot connected to God and in the church? Second question you need to ask, have I reached the point to where I'm willing to ask for help? That means you've got to be willing to share the credit. Remember one of those three words? I need help. Third question you need to ask is, whose side am I on? And maybe a better question is, who's on my side? Whose example am I following? Is there a Deborah in your life that you need to latch on to? Someone that you see God's power is working in their life? Is there a Deborah? that you need to get on your team or jump on their team with them? Someone who's going to influence you that you can see God's power working in a great way? You see, God went into the battlefield before them, and he's going to go into the battlefield for us, and he will bring victory to our life. He, don't, he doesn't want you to live a defeated life. He wants you to experience victory in Him.